Hello and welcome to the Illegal Screen and first true episode of 2020. Not our first drop in 2020, but the first actual episode we've recorded. A new, in new decade. The new decade. It's a new year. Um, what can we say other than welcome? And we hope it will be better. However, yeah. we've received strong spoilers. Spoilers yeah. for anybody yeah. in the year 2020 right now. Yeah, um, our sources suggest sources suggest it is not going to be less hell worldy than uh last year it's probably going to be around the same if not worse uh so don't mean to layer lay that on you guys as soon as uh, we start out here but you know, sometimes you gotta be honest i'm afraid brian um and with that right. i'm liam green yeah i'm brian wrestler and uh, this is the legal screen um thanks guys for joining us and we are going to go ahead and just dive right in we have a full episode for you guys today yeah uh we got a full typical three act structure it's got a beginning it's got a middle and an end uh yeah. has themes has a rising conflict a day and we read that fucking save the cat book like eight times yeah just, just... before writing the notes <laughs> and then spoiler alert we took a shit on it because fuck the save the cat guy we did. Um, so yeah. we have we have a couple. Fuck do we have you, any... guy. Yeah, fuck that guy. Do we have any <laughs> house cleaning? I think I probably made some mistakes on the last episode, but I actually don't remember what they were. If you can't remember them, they're technically not mistakes. Oh, I, I mean, I, I had, I had meant to say a little bit about Wolf of Wall Street on the Decade Pod, but oh well. Like, oh well there's, n- there's not really space to talk about it with the the structure we've come up with this episode and just suffice to say that uh that definitely would have been on my list along with irishman and all the other shows and films we talked about for our decade pod sure um and oh and i had i feel like i didn't really when talking about Mr. Robot, I don't think I ever described the actual plot of that show once. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you were mildly intrigued by my vague description and uh, need a TLDR, uh, it's a thriller about a hacktivist group, more or less, that evolves into an exploration of yep. revolution and how corporations co-opt it and a bunch of other things. So yeah, uh, I, I so, think those are my only real, like okay. real goof ups that I can yeah. think of. I can't remember any anything else, but any other housekeeping? I I, don't, I can't think of anything else. So I think we're good. Um, so we have a an interesting show for you guys today. Basically, yep. just a kind of general concept. Uh, we're going to be talking the film we're going to be discussing today is a a little gem from the master of disaster, Michael Bay, uh, called yeah. Six Underground. Yeah, we're uh, going to be talking some serious trash cinema today. And yeah. uh, what better place to start than with a one hundred and fifty million dollar budgeted Michael Bay movie made exclusively for Netflix? Yeah, yeah, it's juicy. <laughs> it's juicy. Uh, we got a halftime today. We're going to be talking about angry people doing angry things and angry events occurring often on the court and also yeah. some heart heartwarming, wholesome things as well. 
Um, And then we're going to be talking a little bit of the crossover in NBA. We're going to be talking about Florida basketball. We're stepping outside of our shoes. We're stepping outside of our our typical haunt and hanging out with uh, with some cool Florida basketball teams that we'll be uh, talking about a little bit in depth here today. So Yeah, and where they both stand in terms of the NBA hierarchy um, and how they fit into the general spirit of the strange state that uh, mm. in which you, uh, Brian, are currently <laughs> confined. That is where the black site that I'm currently located at is. Yeah. Yes, that is correct. Uh, I'm, still, be... I'm still at the Massachusetts black site. Yeah. So uh, there's a tunnel that connects them. A lot of people don't know this. Uh, it's built by the same people that built Dolce Base, where those aliens got out and started killing everybody with laser guns. True story. Talking, Look it up. Talking about the Invisibles. <laughs> I Grand I might be the Invisibles. I might be. I don't know. <laughs> I know it's a plot event in a lot of um, alien TV shows that I watch, where they always <laughs> have somebody that's like, "I survived Dolce Base." And he talks about getting <laughs> shot with a laser gun. And then then oh, some okay. other guy appears and he's like, and then my friend was found dead three months later after he came out talking about being shot with a laser gun of a mysterious suicide. And it's just like, oh, wow. It's <laughs> <laughs> a deep rabbit hole. See how deep it is already. We're getting distracted. <laughs> Anyways. Okay. Let's, let's do some emo violence. Let's talk about some Bayham. Michael Bayham. Michael Bay's delicious Netflix exclusive Six Underground. So how, and so what do we Man, do? where do we start? Well, as the title initially implies, it is about people faking their death, sort of. But principally I think it's like to be a reference to like the classic squad movies, like squad action movies, like the Dirty Dozen and so on. And what it is, is one weirdo Silicon Valley venture capitalist inventor type guy played by Ryan fucking Reynolds. Yep. Whose name in the film is Milan Tusk. Don't know where they got the name from. (laughs) (laughs) What's his actual character name? I don't actually. I don't actually. Does he give it? He might uh, not give it. No, I don't think he does. He's only known by his call sign. He's just one, basically. Okay. Yeah. You're right. If they gave it, I don't remember it. And it no, doesn't. they don't. They don't. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, Milan Tusk. <laughs> um, again, not based on anyone from uh, our real world. No, absolutely not. So, he decides that uh, because basically he decides that he wants to fake his death and exist off the grid as a a guy who does sort of world savey type missions like principally focused on deposing the uh ghoulishly evil dictator of a fictional middle eastern country who looks like vaguely chechen uh his name is uh, john badman <laughs> the, well, the the country is called Turgistan. Mm-hmm. T U R G Istan. That's Classic. right. Classic Turgistan. That's right. We're not like we're 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 just trying to breeze through this to be like not dwell on how thoroughly problematic it all is because and it is. Just we're acknowledging that that is brain. true. 
we're acknowledging that that is true and that it is problematic yes. but like if we just stay on there it's all we'll, we'll never about. leave and we have mm. to talk about so anyway ryan reynolds wants to depose this guy through increasingly elaborate means assisted by a team of expert thieves uh killers drivers uh, yeah getaway drivers spies um snipers spies. snipers yes um, and because sure we uh why not a parkour artist yeah. <laughs> let us not forget yes the parkour expert yes is one of the key members the of the team. team is a guy who can do parkour yeah a british guy a british guy who can do parkour no yes so he's got a cockney accent while doing parkour it's to it's, be fair he is rather entertaining it's pretty amazing it's he's pretty like, amazing he, he's one of the more most like purely entertaining characters in yeah the, in he's saying the, the, he's there's this movie oh the soundtrack I, I, there's a lot of scenes of a oh, terrible of, terrible music just atrocious but. soundtrack <laughs> but every time i think about the film and like i just like hear like music in my head it's all dubstep and it's all muse and then it's like muse step so it's the two fusing together and it's just a man <laughs> running on a wall while explosions are happening it's incredible oh my god I was going to the Wikipedia page just to check the uh, check to see if there was a character name, and uh, I'm going to read just the paragraph of the Six Underground plot description. Yeah, this would funny, be a huge help in a it funny was... voice. Four years after witnessing the horrors of a brutal regime in the fictional Middle Eastern nation of Turkestan. <laughs> An unnamed American billionaire philanthropist who made his fortunes from inventing neodymium magnets. Oh my fucking god, I forgot about death, the goddamn magnets. Fakes his own death to form an anonymous vigilante squad to take down criminals and terrorists the governments will not touch. Now known as One, he recruits five other people to abandon their pasts and join his cause as Ghosts. Two, a spy. Three, a hitman. Four, a parkour runner and thief. Five, a doctor. And six, a driver. Classic. <laughs> That's a classic plot. It's a classic plot. What I like most about this, too, because I just pulled up the Wikipedia entry as well, is that since you had added the fictional part, because I was reading it along with you, what I noticed is that it doesn't actually say in the plot description that it's fictional Middle Eastern nation of Turkestan. Well, so I, somebody reading this would be like, why can't I? Maybe. Why? I don't know. Yeah, you can't assume, though, you know. That's fair. So I found and I found this now. So it's called Tehran, but it's a Sassanian province, which is called Turkestan, also called Tehran, was a province of the Sassanian Empire located in what is now present-day Pakistan. So okay. I guess that's their reference for it is in very okay. antiquated region, but it's it, regardless, it, it's fictional. That's all you guys need to know. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, so Michael Bay, what can be said? Written... 
this movie was written by the guys who wrote the Deadpool movies. Big surprise, because it explains why Ryan Reynolds is quipping and or ad-libbing his way through the entire film. Yeah. Um, Ryan Reynolds in this film, playing one, is also playing... This is just a prequel to Deadpool. Kind where of, yeah. Before Ryan Reynolds became, becomes the Deadpool in this film, he's just the Ryan Reynolds. Um, so <laughs> it's... <laughs> It's very cerebral (laughs) stuff. It takes a lot to unpack. But as a prequel film, does it work to set up the expanded Deadpool cinematic universe? Yeah, I think it does. Um, Especially the magnets. That's that's really the best part. There's a whole plot thing involving magnets. It's a very... More than one. Yes. More than one. It is absolutely a very, very, very real thing. So, like, I think it's fair... So I, I, when I was watching this film, because you're just like, you have to see it. It's such a spectacle, complete and total madness. You're it's, it's a, it's definitely a good, bad movie in that sense. Mm. When I saw this movie, I was texting you during it. And, um, I had some, some, some messages here that I'm going to read some of these, uh, commentary (laughs) off the cuff. commentary. Uh, I'm watching six underground. This movie is batshit. Lamal, the fucking parkour guy. Jesus, this is a real movie made by real people. Did you just say LMAO as, as Lamal? Yeah. <laughs> what the Oh, yeah. Uh, this movie has a man on a fucking skateboard with a goddamn grenade launcher. This is true. This is a very real scene. The it parkour does. guy is on a skateboard with a grenade launcher. It's Bart Simpson with a heavy, <laughs> heavy piece of weaponry. It's... It's absurd. Oh, did just complete total like and and no spoilers, but I mean, come on, that goes without saying. At the same time, I there's one part I was texting about. So like the driver, their first mission goes completely completely shitty in Italy. Yeah, it goes. And the, the driver gets killed and pretty graphic death. And by the way, this whole film shockingly oh, graphic. So shockingly there's graphic. There's a lot of splatter. A lot yeah. of splatter. Um, so Is like the their camera shot dies. framed from inside a bullet wound just because they could do it. So like the driver dies and I'm like, I can't believe our driver is dead. Let's take his body. Eats music and drinks rum while solemn electronic music plays. Leave it to beaver joke ensues. That's it's like the true. next shot true. of the film. It did um, follow. Uh, it, it did follow a joke about leave it to beaver. Um, I said soundtrack by muse. Uh, <laughs> I said, here's a wrestler review, a visual and audio equivalent of a nosebleed and psilocybin, two thumbs up, parkour man traits, getting naked and drunk. That's a character. That's a, that's his character trait. That is literally the only thing yeah. about him. He does uh, say that he enjoys getting naked and drunk. Oh my God. The magnets. Holy fuck. I'm howling tagline proposed tagline for the film. We're going to free the fuck out of you. Um, Michael Brain's uh, Michael Bay smooth brain helicopter fetishism. Um, Got to slide off a wall to dodge bullets because French parkour galaxy brain. Um, Bunch of fucking dipshits with Lakers jerseys shooting free throws on a goddamn yacht. (laughs) Oh, and also weird. And also a few references to your uh, obsession with watches. Yes, couple watches about Chapard and me getting mad about it. But holy shit, flashbang <laughs> in mouth. 
Wow. 11 out of 10. What a weirdly Sam Raimi moment of gore. Sure. Why not? <laughs> Folks, what we're saying is this movie. This has been shit. a new this has been a new segment called Text Messages from Six Underground. It's just absolutely batshit. This film is batshit. And I just don't I don't know other than just Michael Bay being an auteur. And I think it's fair to that. God he is. Because this film in anyone else's hands, I don't think would have felt like a it wouldn't have felt the same. Yeah, just something about the film. And that is part of by extension, obviously, uh, Michael Bay as a director creates this weird. uh, I don't even know how to describe the style, his style. Uh, If I had to be like straight up about it and, and what he kind of is known for now, I just don't know how to describe it properly. Um, uh, I guess I would say like the inheritor to his style would be methamphetamine. Like, yeah, uh, methamphetamine. Dad, dad, bro, dad, bro, dude, this is fucking badass. If I was a billionaire, this is what I would do, bro. Like, I would free people. I would kill dictators. Yeah, just, I would have magnets. Magnets. By the way, these magnets. We keep on mentioning. I would have Melanie Laurent uh, in a killing suit. people in a suit these magnets that we keep bringing up so uh, the the bullshit i would also have melanie laurent in uh very revealing underwear because this is a michael bay movie yes. you gotta have both yeah so, um the the whole thing about the magnets which i, I can't let go of i can't <laughs> let go of the magnet, man how do they work how do they work <laughs> How do they work? The <laughs> the thing that the in the film one Ryan Reynolds, aka Deadpool, Deadpool is a batshit dumbass billionaire who yep. basically invented magnets when he was a baby, and then he grew up as an, <laughs> an adult, an adult Deadpool, not baby Deadpool, adult Deadpool, the billionaire, uses these these magnets while they're in various situations, and they, it's basically like. He throws like a, a uh, something that like sticks to a wall, and then yeah. like ball bearings, and then he'll put something in a smartphone, which is a good device to control your magnets with, I guess. Sure, and he, even though it's full he, of. Never mind. He downloads the app. Okay, <laughs> he downloads the app, and there's totally you know his phone is safe. He downloads the app. He enters in the magnet app. Kill the bad guys. And then, boom, the the ship they're in turns on its side, and there's a bunch of weird zero-G shots for no reason. Um, Or a bunch of kitchenware in a kitchen uh, flies off the wall and impales people. Like a spatula goes through a guy's sternum. Why not? That's true. It's just that's the way it works. Um, That is how magnets work. So the point at which the magnet works and how we understand it, I don't. I don't know. As far as I know, magnets were developed in Dolce base. Um, the aliens, <laughs> guns. That's, that's as far as I know. That's where the magnets came from in real life. That's in real life, not in the, this movie where Deadpool made them. Um, <laughs> um, there's some, there's some, uh, there's some shit going out of this fucking movie. Um, it's incredible. It is it's incredible. So it, bad. And it's, so amazing it is a so bad that it's so good film um and it is absolutely 
worth the entry. If you have Netflix and you are looking for, just like other Michael Bay movies, this is a long, fairly long film. Um, I think it's yeah. two two hours or a little bit over two hours. Yeah, like two uh, and um, ten. Yeah. So, like, his standard length, like, he doesn't make short films by any stretch because that doesn't happen with him. Um, and you're into watching Deadpool perform weird interventionist politics on the behalf of no one who asked for it. Yeah. Um, this is totally, totally the film for you, even if you're not into that, even if you just want to see um, Deadpool and uh, Melanie Laurent uh, do some cool stuff in Las Vegas. <laughs> And in Hong Kong, and, and in Corey, New- and and a very a good performance by Corey Hawkins as uh, a special ops guy, like Dev Grew type guy who joins them later on. Um, Corey Hawkins is very underrated. Uh, oh yeah, he was a sniper, actor, right? huh? He was a sniper, right? Yeah, he's the sniper guy. Yeah, yeah, he did a good job in that role, actually. And to to be given a script of that quality and turning <laughs> this thing decent to have even slight moments of pathos yeah and Corey hawkins is probably the only person who delivers them i don't know uh french uh, parkour man sorry london british (laughs) parkour man is like oi what's up dudes and he shoots somebody with a grenade launcher while skateboarding i don't know i just (laughs) god damn the fucking dudes So and now when I when we were talking about this film too, I think you said that it w- there were plans to make this into a film series. Not that I know of. Or okay, maybe I I was thinking of something else because it definitely seems like when the film wraps up, it seems like pretty much there they could easily continue this. Oh and well, yeah, sure. Characters. I I think they leave an opening for it, but I don't know if there are any active. I don't know of any active plans to make a sequel, but I would hardly be surprised. I mean, right. although th- that t- I guess that ties into the eternal question of how do you figure out how Netflix is monetizing their stuff? And that's the black box and, discussion, which was like, <laughs> and that just, yeah, the numbers, how do they work? Um, just like madness. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, at this point, Netflix, they're they're generating just and I guess they're generating just enough like subscriber revenue. I don't like I don't know, and I don't care. I don't want to. Yeah, I'm already yeah. like I'm starting to think about it and realizing how far we could get bogged down in talking about like Netflix's like corp earnings reports. So yeah. we're gonna nip that right in the fucking bud, <laughs> fucking immediately. Yeah. Uh, we're sending that to Turkestan where it belongs. And um, okay, I have a question. I have a. I, I have. A, do you think this film did well uh, with with its Chinese audiences? I don't know. I mean, China does have Netflix. I think. I uh, do they? Yeah. I mean, no, they do. They do. Okay. I was pretty um, sure they do, but I was I wasn't hundred percent. And I I I haven't heard about that. I, I'm not sure. No. I, I don't see the thing is that's why weird they about would this film. like it. Right. I don't see why they would either because it's uh, the thing that's interesting to me about this film on a more serious note is, and then we've talked about this a little bit with Amazon Prime and in our very first episode with Tool to Die Young. Um, 
and kind of how that that show wasn't advertised really at all. Um, no, I not. feel like I logged on to Netflix a couple of times. I popped it up, you know, popped up in the app a couple of times. I would see an advertisement for Six Underground. Yeah, I've seen but it. That was for around maybe two or three weeks, and then it just disappeared into the dustbin of Netflix's vast, vast, vast army of media. Uh, at this point. So it's kind of weird to me that this film, unlike other Michael Bay films, seemed to have came yeah. and went and that was it. And I will I say for a lean production, this looks like I'm kind of honestly surprised this did not get a theatrical release um, because yeah. it's a very, all of its faults and pure think... smooth brain activity. It's a, um, it's a good looking film if nothing else. Yeah, I, I think probably a studio would have wanted to make a, a PG-13 version of this, perhaps. And Michael Bay did not want to do that. Yeah, and I so, I agree. Like, <laughs> yeah, I and think Netflix you're was like, right. oh, oh, you need $150 million? Sure. We got it. We got we it. We got that right here. Yeah. And then go back to doing a Hot Wheels track of cocaine and then go back to banking their bankrolling the next project that comes along. Um so I mean it this is a this is a weird film. Period end of story. It's a I would say it's borderline plotless. Um I I can't even really tell you what happened in this film. I, we gave you the plot summary, but that was pretty much everything that happens here. Um, yeah, it's just it, various missions and extended chases to take down this dictator guy. Before there's even a break to introduce characters, the fir- the opening of the film, the first mission and how it goes wrong, takes around 40 minutes. All of which is action. Uh, yeah, yeah, about that. All of which is action. There's, yep. no, there's no slowdown. There's just Ryan, there's just Deadpool in a car looking disgruntled and angry and then at times sad, but then kind of looking angry again, but then making a quip so you feel better. Um, And then the driver's like, I'm going to be the best driver ever. You'll see. It's like, oh no, don't say that. And then as soon as he says that, as soon as he says that, you know, he just gets murked. And also Um, you're going to die because you're Dave Franco and there's no way you uh, wanted to be in that much of this movie because it would involve running. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and physical training it's true it's true um, and ryan reynolds is already in that kind of shape he doesn't need to do that but you on the other hand my friend dave franco bit too much uh bit too many uh too many bellinis just too many yeah. bellinis you know bellinis. Too, too many bellinis too, too much weed um, you know, and that's fine. If you're all about that life, be about that life, you know. Um <laughs> good for you, you know. Um yeah, the, too many a, Seth Rogan uh Seth Rogan premieres. Yes, yeah. Or like Sausage Party 3 or whatever. <laughs> Sausage Party 3 starring Jim Caviezel. <laughs> briefly, we just want to remind everyone that yes, there was an R-rated animated film about the meats in your fridge voiced by seth rogan holy shit really this is the thing sausage party yeah that's a real movie Um, 
I thought that's <laughs> I thought that's why you were laughing. Oh man, I was riffing on it because I thought it was, was real. <laughs> no. Oh <it's> real. <laughs> my fucking god. Wow. Real time shock and all right now. Please, God. How much did this cost to make? Oh my know. god, 19 million dollars. That's not that much. It's still that's like the GDP of some countries. Its box office revenue was 140 million dollars. God damn it. Maybe it's funny, I don't know. I'm going to read one sentence that I don't even know if it will spoil the film or not, and I don't think it will. Here's the one sentence from the plot summary on Sausage Party. I'm going to read. I don't think this is going to spoil anything for you. If you see this film, I think you'll be okay. okay. Uh, Ooh, that line's good, but I still think this is the best one. Okay. Okay, I'm going to read this one in a funny voice, too. Okay. The groceries celebrate after their victory with a store-wide orgy. That's it. <laughs> That's it. That's all I'm reading. All I'm reading. Holy shit, man. Just dark. Very dark. Incredible. Maybe, maybe, maybe we have to watch this. Maybe we have to watch this film. Um, I don't know. Uh, we'll I don't know see. either. We'll see. We'll see how this goes. I'm not going to close this tab. I'm going to keep it up. And then I'm going to gonna get on my computer two days later and be like, what the fuck is this about? What? Why do I have this up? Um, and your so, wife will be like, uh, Brian, we need to talk about some things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just interesting watching this movie together. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Adult entertainment for adults. Adult entertainment for adults. That's all. Um, so anyway, let's uh, let's move away from sentient uh, sexual deli meats and yes. um, into something a bit more in <laughs> a bit more in the illegal screen wheelhouse, which with another uh, a film we're, celebrating we're you a surprise. A different, we're you guys yeah. an off the cuff here. We didn't even mention this because we had, truth be told left it off of our notes section yeah. but we had planned on talking about these films in tandem which yeah. is of course another uh sexy sentient film about finding your vibes and also not having a plot and that's called yeah the beach the bum beach bum harmony corinne's newest film starring matthew mcconaughey playing the role of a lifetime Perhaps as Moondog, as the Moondog. Okay, I will. Did you I watch was... it through the credits, FYI, and get through the Jimmy Buffett song about Moondog? I did not. I did not. Well, okay, we'll get to that later. I, okay, all right. Um, two things. So okay. Harmony Corinne made a movie called The Beach Bum, starring Matthew McConaughey. This, this is a film. It exists. It's a real film. It totally um, exists. A dude. Um, a, a, a sort of like beat poet type, like a postmodern beat poet type writer named Moondog living in South Florida, specifically Key West, but occasionally fucking around in Miami and the surrounding areas. Yep. And just 
spending his life like perma drunk, perma stone, just like flowing just on the vibes. Yeah. And just living his life until uh, a tra- a tragedy occurs and he is forced to actually start working on writing again, which he hasn't been doing for years. He's basically been coasting on his reputation yep. and getting drunk and getting in adventures. And which is to secure and the point of following up on this writing after the impetus, after this tragedy, the impetus for it is to secure, secure an inheritance. Yes, correct. Because otherwise he will be broke. Like yeah. truly, truly, truly broke. And the adventures that ensue, the, my God, they're amazing. So the Beach Bum is about... Beach Bum is an incredible film. The Beach Bum is a film that confounds me and i've been thinking about it for weeks <laughs> harmony korean has been living rent free in my head for weeks now harmony korean has been living rent free in most millennials heads since kids let's be real yeah yeah we've never just, forgotten it he's not paying rent let's just put it that way he's a tenant who has stuck around and man he's he's never gonna pay up but the Beach Bum is two not things. Not unlike to me. Moondog. Not unlike Moondog. Hmm. But he's so much fun to keep around. Coincidence? I think not. not so at all. the Beach Bum is technically a sequel to. Um, I, I think everyone has figured this out by now. Uh, this is part of the Spring Breakers expanded cinematic universe. Well, um, there actually is this theory, unlike uh, some other theories of Brian's. They hold some water. <laughs> yes, this one could actually be real to an extent. To an extent, it yeah. could be real. Um, so, like, I feel that um, this film, if you're going in expecting Spring Breakers Part Two, Electric Bugaloo, you're it's not, not going, that. It, yeah, it's not, not that. that. It's not that. What it is is it is Moon Dog making jizz burgers in the Florida Keys. Uh, hanging out with Captain Whack. He does not make any uh, hamburgers with semen. But there is a there is a restaurant think. where there's a grill and he's 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 is, on there, it. That's true. There is a sexual so, encounter you know near a grill. It's very close to a grill. I was just, you know, like, hey, come on guys. You know, people that's eat gonna there. that's gonna get you a health citation. Yeah. At the, at the very least. And I mean, I totally get it. Everyone's cool with it. The thing is, no one cares. Also <laughs> in the in the world of the beach bum, nobody seems to care. Oh, and this is also a film about Zach Efron, who I believe is actually just playing himself after he's completely broken down as a human being and yeah. has had a, he's a born again Christian uh with weird sideburns shaved into his face yep. like weird like very angular facial hair and blonde tips and he really likes creed he was in a creed cover band because in this universe scott Stapp is dead according to zach efron that... oh that's right he does think he's he wait does wait, he wait, does wait. he said yeah and the guy who formed that Hold band on. he's is... dead <laughs> No, here's on a uh, no bullshit. Are we, is Scott Stapp dead? Isn't Scott Stapp dead? Oh wait, is he? Hold on. 
Oh, oh no! Are we gonna have a? Did I just Mandela effect myself? No, he's still alive. Okay. He's still alive. We that was dangerous. We almost. Wow. Okay. Anyways, Zac Efron's character um, is basically kind of this film's uh, alien. Um, mm, a little bit. Of, he he serves sort of a similar purpose. Um, so if you're wondering why we're so all over the place, you're thinking these lazy bastards, typical, typical lazy bastards, Liam and Brian, once again, are winging something because they didn't include it in their notes, even though they probably talked about it. And they're so all over the place. Yeah, whoopsie fucking whoopsie daisy. Whoopsie fucking do. But the truth is, is actually... Mm, we're really kind of still on on the film pretty accurate so far um there's there's this is a film about nothing there is is no plot there is no plot other than trying to not be broke out of circumstance yeah he just sort of wanders through this phantasmagorical south florida landscape um usually with pap's blue ribbon in hand, big Close PBR hand. fan, big PB Moondog, huge PBR fan. I like yeah. to think Matthew McConaughey is a PBR guy, oh, you know, most, most definitely. Although he probably also makes room like for some, uh, for some Lone Star and for Dixie beer. Mm. But, um, so yeah, he's we alluded earlier briefly to uh, a figure named Captain Whack. At one point, uh, at one point, <laughs> incredible. At one point, uh, Moondog is hanging out with a dolphin tour guide leader named Captain Wack, <laughs> played by Martin Lawrence. Uh, yep, the Martin Lawrence. At another point, um, he ha- he is friends with uh, Snoop Dogg, not as Snoop Dogg, playing a Snoop Dogg playing a. A, a character, a mogul of sorts, of unknown provenance, who goes by the name Lingerie. Oh, he's an R&B singer. Yeah. My bad. Yeah. But not not a rapper, so not playing Snoop Dogg. No. Um, he is occasionally in contact with Jimmy Buffett as Jimmy Buffett. Yep. This who is, is a real also thing. friends with lingerie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Most people don't think about this. That Jimmy Buffett is in a film playing Jimmy Buffett. Yep. <laughs> I also want to say while I have the time, fuck Jimmy yeah. Buffett. Fuck him. Yeah, I'm not a big fa- I'm not a big fan of Jimmy Buffett, but I really really enjoy what he does in this movie. (laughs) I like to think that he's not Jimmy Buffett in this movie. This is an alternate universe Jimmy Buffett. Oh. Um, So I kind of have written my own headcanon about Jimmy Buffett in this film to justify the... He's not in it a ton, but when he is in it, you can kind of kind of (laughs) tolerate it without wanting... Yeah. You can tolerate it. So that end credit song end credit song jimmy not Buffett bad. Is a, it's not bad okay not bad son of a bitch 
Flicker. So that good. Zach Efron's character was named Flicker. Yeah, that's right. Flicker. You want a one word, one sentence summary of this film? Flicker yeah. is hanging out with Moondog, and they've broken out of rehab. And Flicker spin kicks a man off of a Vespa. <laughs> An old man. An old man. Like a 90-year-old. And Just robs him. Robs him <laughs> and spin kicks him off of a fucking Vespa. That's this film. It's it's at at times like you you see these things and you're like, this is the it, this is the best film ever. And like Lewis just uh, uh, which is uh, his agent played by Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill just runs around doing a foghorn leghorn impression. <laughs> yeah, and, and he's trying to not laugh while doing it. And they're like, keep keep the take. That's good. Keep yeah. the take. That's excellent. And yeah, he, he's, he's at a he's at a gay bar, being like, "Oh, I'm gonna need the chiropractor tomorrow." <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I wasn't invited to your wedding. That's okay. I had prior obligations. I have prior so obligations. I'm not offended in the least, Moondog, but thank you. I understand. It's amazing. This this film is also confounding because at the same time, um, you could have the opposite reaction where you basically just say, Harmony Kareem cannot keep getting away with this. He people he have to can. stop giving him money. But the thing is, he's gonna keep getting away with it, and that's the beauty of it. Like, and it's great because these are Spring Breakers and Beach Bum are authentically great movies. I'm saying it here and now. I I I don't think Spring Breakers spring... needs anyone to cap for it anymore. No. So I'm not going to. But Beach Bum ultimately ends up being this sort of really bizarre allegory about fame and money and like opulence like that that's that is what it ultimately turns into yes like the stunt that ends it and we're actually not going to give this away because uh we really yeah. want people to see this movie. Um, no, it's yeah, available. It's available exclusively on Hulu. But uh, any like no, you don't need like the just anyone with a Hulu account can watch it. Um, yeah, it's not like part of. It's not like one of those things where like you need to have another network and Hulu or can what what have you. But like, so you can easily access it and should. It's a very strange, but truly affecting movie. There's, there's like this, and and even before the more meditative stuff at at its tail end, there are just these occasional dips into really intense reflection, like when McConaughey as Moondog and his wife are at a pier doing karaoke to. Uh, is that all there is by Peggy Lipton, I think. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember who does Is That All There Is, but the point is it's that song. Right. It's the original version of it, Is That All There Is. And it's just a really beautiful moment. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting film in a lot of ways. And like I said, when I said this film confounded me, it still does. And I didn't feel that way about Spring Breakers. 
when I saw Spring Breakers, I knew I'm like, I love this film. This this is a this is a great film. It is kind of this. I don't know if uh, I think it would almost be kind of cool if if there was a third Florida film and it completed this weird trilogy. Um, and who knows? Maybe there maybe there will be because aesthetically, if you watch Beach Bum and Spring Breakers, and I I kind of went back to parse through bits of Spring Breakers, there are some different. It's actually not all the same. Like the neon overtones and spring breakers are not as prevalent in beach bum beach bums like actually softer and gentler looking um and i think it actually does a better job of capturing what a lot of uh miami in the prevalent key west area looks like um but kind of one of the things that's interesting too is just as as weirdly detached from reality as the film's plot is and the film's characters the environment is too like Florida actually has a lot of different uh, sights and sounds and looks. And this film yeah. is very much so like the mind of what Moondogs Florida. This is Moondogs Florida. Basically, this is not if you live in Florida, you've been to Florida. This is not going to resemble a Florida that, you know, this is a purely imagined well poetic homage to florida is what i find it to be i mean i haven't i obviously have i've never been to florida but right as soon as you were watching it you said whoa holy shit this really is key west yeah so i think there is some reality to the portrayal yeah yeah, what you're saying no there is a reality for the to, to the portrayal it's just at times it does delve into this really like you can tell it was, it was it's it's difficult. I, see, this is a film too that is actually difficult to talk about. We've talked about things, films that are really challenging on this on this pod before. This is actually one that's actually difficult to talk about, um, and I think it's because it's just so there's so many thoughts that arise when you watch this film. Yeah, um, for, and, for a movie that its critics dismissed as being stupid, it's like uh. No, if anything, there are too many thoughts going on in it at once. Yeah, no, I'd say like if that was, that was a, a criticism that you could also level as being fair was that, yeah, it does have only almost too many things going on because it, it there's stuff like when I thought about it, because I, I still it still confounds me. It still it still is a bit for me to grapple with. Like, um, yeah, you, I, was, I don't think you liked it as much as I did, but no, I, but there's things that I remember that I didn't think about when I saw the film and then I okay. reflect back on it. And the thing that I remember stuck out to me was there's this video of Moondog um, where he, and it's purposefully shot and to make it look older, Right, uh, like right. it's a VHS kind of style of him being like, "Damn, I was fucking really good," and it's him like giving a a speech to probably you know a a group of writers at a, at a workshop or a group of writers you know who may, might have or maybe people graduating from an MFA program or something, and he's kind of giving like this pseudo inspirational speech, but also reading part of his chat book or part of his his poetry to them, and it's done really, really, really well. And I was all of a sudden that I kind of got hung up on that when I thought about this film again. And I wondered yeah. how much of how much of like is Moondog really happy? Like is has he become this sort of transcendent monk like 
I'm just vibing and living and feeling great because then he has this real like instance of almost mourning mm-hmm. and you see this like maybe two or three times with his character in the film. And then all of a sudden it kind of forces you to, to rethink a lot of what he's done or said or the experiences and people he encounters. So then I'm like, is this film brilliant? And I think so. <laughs> Kinda. <laughs> and I, I like, I think that's appropriate that the answer is, I think so. Or the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> I felt like if you could surely say one definitively one way or the other, I think you would have missed something in this film, like something truly great. Yeah. That's definitely fair. I must reiterate Zach Efron spin kicks a man, an old man off of a Vespa. <laughs> I, I cannot reiterate this enough. It's a thing. It happens. And also on that note, well finish. And then on that note, I have a really funny bit about Zach Efron. And then we can wrap up the segment. Yeah, that's pretty much it. It's just uh, Zach Efron spin kicking an elderly <laughs> man off of a Vespa. At the okay. End. So, from the Wikipedia page, uh, and this, the, there are sources for this paragraph, so I, I believe it. Additional strange inspiration came to Corinne as while eating a panini sandwich. The director thought that the pattern would look good on Zach's face. Quote, the quote later went viral when New Yorker columnist Lauren Leibowitz tweeted about the design for Efron's beard. While appearing on Jimmy Kimmel Live, McConaughey recounted how Snoop Dogg swapped out the fake prop marijuana with Snoop weed. McConaughey said of the experience, the next nine hours were a whole lot of fun, but I don't believe we used one word in the English language, end quote. (laughs) Yeah. Amazing. That's fucking poetry. Amazing. <laughs> oh, I'm just feeling it, man. You know? That's bad, Matthew McConaughey. Don't leave it yeah, in. That's fucking poetry. That's the beach bum. And yeah. uh, before we move on into halftime, very quickly, a word about the Oscars. A very We're brief word about the Oscars. Not saying anything about exactly. them. We're not saying anything because it doesn't yep. matter. And yep. the nominations don't matter, and the award show doesn't matter. So <laughs> that's that. And we want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Harvest Owl Coffee. <laughs> Very quick shout out to Harvest Owl Coffee from our cup to yours. <laughs> when I drink coffee, I drink Harvest Owl Coffee. <laughs> Throw your folders away and start a new day with Harvest Owl Coffee from our cup to yours. Many people wake up each day and they say to themselves, I wish I had some fucking coffee. And they think, man, I got an espresso. I got a Keurig. I got a French press. I got to have coffee for all these fucking devices because they rule my life. I drink coffee every five minutes. I just wish somebody made coffee that could be used in every one of these machines. And they do. Harvest Owl Coffee makes coffee that goes inside a replenishable K-cup that can be fitted inside to be recycled and washed when needed and an espresso cup made from aluminum with resealable seals by Harvest Owl brand and for those who want to find press fine press coarsely ground 
and fine ground coffee from Harvestel, <laughs> who will make sure to, from our cup to yours, coffee. <laughs> Harvestel coffee. With that, let's go to halftime. It's halftime. All right. Um, so the dominant theme, the the theme of this halftime is just why are why why is everyone so angry? Yeah, there's a why, lot. Brian? of I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of angry, angry people uh, on the court and off the court, actually. Um, yeah. So, but the good thing is, is that anger makes for a good fodder when you got to come up with a halftime segment and look at funny shit people are doing. It's true. We've uh, over the past couple of weeks, we've got a, uh, a couple of subtle and unsubtle trade demands. Uh, we had uh, Dwayne, we had Dwayne Dedman of the Sacramento Kings go out and say publicly that he wanted to be traded, knowing that he would get a fifty million, uh, excuse me, fifty thousand dollar fine for doing so, um, because that that's how most um, the way the way this works is that when most players want to get traded they voice it through back channels they don't usually just openly say it right and when he did it and when uh last year when rich paul did it for on behalf of anthony davis um they both that that is why fines resulted although fifty thousand dollars is infinitesimal drop in the bucket to anthony davis and it's even a fairly small drop in the bucket to even a a more uh, journeyman player like Dwayne Dedman. Um, right. And then we've also, uh, speaking of people uh, people letting money burn, uh, Kevin Love on the Cleveland Cavaliers, who, uh, well, my friend, you signed a four-year extension after LeBron left the Cavaliers to go to the Lakers, uh, you know, thinking that uh, the Cavs were still going to somehow try and be a power in the east nope they're immediately like nope we're tearing it all down nope yep sorry yep but we can't trade you because your contract's too expensive so, so now, because of that he he's has... yelling at everyone yeah he's players ham. coaches gms he when people he yelled... on twitter he's yeah. he's, he's oh, become permanently it? online Actually, um, I actually don't know if Kevin Love is online. Right I now. made that up. I think he said I a made few it things. Up. On, no, no, no. <laughs> in fairness, in fairness, he said a few things on Instagram, but nothing on Twitter. Okay, but he's mostly, still permanently online. Yeah. Well, one person who we we actually we weren't preparing for, but who is definitely permanently online still, Kevin Durant, still getting in debates with people. Uh, both former players and random 15-year-olds, as yeah, usual. As one does. You know, that's but, pretty normal. Um, I feel it, bad because I... That's a curveball sub- that I threw you, so... Yeah, <laughs> I, I feel bad for, for KD because I supplied him with many of his burner phones. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and if I would have known and what was happening, I, I wouldn't have ever got him in that habit, you, you know? got like, him... You got him the shittiest track phones, man. And I know, I know. They just they just drive you to want to make burners and tweet. 
just make bad decisions. You know, yep. it's just all about making bad decisions. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, Kevin Love doing, doing war, doing war, war things on everyone. Yep. Um, and, uh, I don't just a tiny white boy from, or r- rather a rather large white boy from Lake, <laughs> Lake Oswego, Oregon. <laughs> everybody, everybody loves that place on the, uh, le- on the, more serious side of people getting anger um at the Celtic Spurs game last week we had uh Kemba getting a, a kind of a a questionable at best call from a ref and voicing his frustration with a couple of four letter words immediately getting ejected and while he was uh once he knew that he was already ejected being ejected rather choosing to unleash a much longer torrent of F-bombs. Yeah, understandable. Fuck word after fuck word. But on the less funny side, some asshole uh, Celtics fan decided to throw a beer at Spurs player DeMar DeRozan's head. And that dude can go get fucked. Brian, you have some of the details on that. I do, I do. I do, and this is from Boston 25 News. Celtics fan arrested after throwing drink on court, ordered to stay away from TD Garden. Justin Arnold, 22, of Everett, was arrested and charged with disturbing a public assembly, according to Boston Police Sergeant John Boyle. Arnold appeared in court on Thursday where he is ordered to stay away from the garden. Celtics coke. Celtics. Oh, fuck. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Celtics coach Brad Stevens was visibly upset about the incident and addressed it during his post-game comments. I apologize to the Spurs for what happened out of the stands, said Stevens. That can being thrown. I told Pop after the game, I'm really sorry they had to experience that. I hope that person's not allowed in an NBA arena again. And Stevens, you got, you kind of got your witch coach, Stevens. Uh, I mean, he's not allowed at TD Garden, at least. Yep. Um I don't know if if I don't think they're going to extend that to like every, uh, you know, arena or anything, but he's definitely not allowed back at TD Gardens. So, but uh, do got mad, do got mad. And this is coming up kind of on a similar, I don't want to say similar, but uh, just a couple weeks back with uh, Isaiah Thomas, too, Um, and him going into the stands. And yeah, and basically addressing a fan in a very calm and cool, collected manner who is. He was being basically, um, I guess, berated by yeah. um, and, you know, caught some. Uh, I don't know. Did he catch a game out for that? Or he caught a fine. Just, I know that he, he was fined and he was. Uh, I don't remember because he was suspended for two games for something else. I think he might have just been fined for this. though. Yeah. So this is coming like right hot on the heels of that. So like. You got mm-hmm. people throwing beer, you know, on the court. It, hey, yeah. it, buddy, it's not a punk and it, show. And it, like, and not only like, this is a twenty-two-year-old kid who, well, I guess if if you're twenty-two and you're throwing a can of fucking beer, if you bought that at TD Garden, I've bought a can of beer at TD Garden. That shit costs at least thirteen dollars. Not cheap. Not, not cheap at all. So unless you're on mommy and daddy's money, which you obviously are, Justin. Confirm, Justin is bad with his money. (laughs) Fucking nerd. 
Uh, and we Fuck got, it. You the know paper what? named him. He's 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 a legal adult. I can yeah. insult him. Yeah. <laughs> even weirder on the other side of yeah the lighter of, side the lighter side and and on the other side on the court instead of kind of off the court or near the court yeah oh boy do we have luka, a cringe yeah luka, luka you posted cringe you're gonna lose followers bro <laughs> um <laughs> at the end of a mavericks game uh luka played really well but the team lost uh i don't I don't remember what the score was, um, but apparently he ripped his jersey to shreds. Chris, uh, what's his name? Chris Sale style. <laughs> he went, um, Luca basically went Hulk Hogan. Um, yep. He went full, full Hulk Hogan. And um, You mean he destroyed an internet media empire? He did he did. It's weird. It's weird that Luca Don- Luca is responsible for destroying Deadspin, allegedly. Allegedly, Oof. allegedly. <laughs> joke. That was that was a joke. Yeah. Um, satire. He definitely satire. didn't do that. No, Luca's. He's. He's. It's just. This yeah. was a hysterical moment. Where if you guys can watch the video clip of it, it doesn't really tear properly because you know <laughs> it's a jersey. So yeah, it, it's it just of like fairly strong material it just kind of splits a little bit (laughs) but he's raging he's clearly applying himself here yeah and as as uh our as our colleagues at fast break breakfast have said he has the physique and physical appearance of a lego figurine so it's just (laughs) really just really amusing to watch it's it's a great way of describing it holy shit yeah that's really fucking good yeah, Chuck, Chuck said that on Fast Break. So shout out Chuck Anderson. Um, and if you're wondering what caused this, I got, I got a direct quote from Luca after the event here that says, okay. quote, I played very bad. Who finished with Luca finished with 25 points, 10 rebounds, seven assists and six turnovers. Quote, I felt like I don't know how to play basketball. I've got to get better a lot. So you that's a triple double and <laughs> an almost triple double and thought he needs he's literally one of the best players in the nba right now yeah as a second year player i know uh the dude is bizarre not feeling it not feeling it very angry angry boy um so we got a lot of anger but let's talk about some wholesome things let's talk about something good yeah Uh, brian's brian's uh object of Object of uh, adoration, object, yep. object, dart, Carmelo object Anthony. Dart. He's done something really sweet. He's done something really, really, really wholesome. And this is uh, this is from Syracuse.com. Um, but uh, basically, there was a single mother and Carmelo Anthony gifted a new car to her. Um, mm. So according to Baltimore's WMAR2 News, Anthony and the car service gifted a 2017 Mazda CX-3 to Shalita Addison, a single mother to Mount St. Mary's basketball player Taylor Addison. Um, Addison's previous vehicle, a a 1997 Honda Accord, would regularly force her to miss work, doctor's appointments, and even her daughter's basketball games. 
Anthony, a Baltimore native, spoke with NBC Sports Northwest on Thursday by the car, and he said, quote, we partnered up and gave the car for the holidays. Anthony said, we surprised a family who really needed it, and we made somebody's holiday. We made a family happy, made some wishes come true. It's a great feeling we can do something like that and help a family out. It always puts things in perspective when you see the impact it has on people, which is awesome. Definitely. Kudos yeah. to you. And then perhaps to coincide with this generosity and maybe a different perspective and mindset that maybe Anthony's been able to apply, he had a, a really, really, really good performance recently. Um, yeah, he had one of his better, uh, one of his definitely his best scoring game of the season. Yep. Uh, season high for the Raptors. Yep, and um, it was a it was a pretty you know difficult game. This was not an easy victory uh, by any stretch, but uh, but Anthony's performance really really turned it in here. Um, so I mean, twenty eight points is nothing to scoff at. Uh, I guess if he was like Luca, he would just he by this point he would have torn <laughs> himself in two, and the dimensional <laughs> rift would have opened up and was sucking everybody that was you know nearby and made Earth uninhabitable. Nah. Um, thankfully he's not that. So, uh, he's, he's, he doesn't get that upset that easily. Uh, all in good fun, all in good fun. Um, so it's, it was great. This is, this is nice and, and heartwarming to see and, and definitely yeah. that I love to see. And, and Mello's, Mello's been legitimately good at this point. I mean, the trailblazers are still kind of struggling, but that's sort of the realities of the conference that they're in. And the, he's done about as well for them as, as, as could be expected. Yeah. And so he's the reason why, let me check, check where they are in the standings at the moment. Oof. Okay. They're, they're in 11th. They are, they are, but technically just two games back of eighth place Memphis, which I mean, we could do, a whole thing on how that's a surprise, but uh, we don't right. really have the time or the prep. And um, yeah, yeah, that would be almost a a deep dive there. But, but yeah, Port- Portland it's, it's could easily Portland could easily be not far from where Golden State is at the absolute bottom of the standings right now, and they're not. So we'll exactly, see how that goes. Yeah, fingers crossed for those guys because I, I think they they deserve it. It's hard work on that team yeah that was they were a western conference finalist last year um and obviously they've been playing without their their key center joseph nurkic uh star a big defensive stud for them um so we want to close out halftime by quickly noting um i was fortunate enough to uh get a an advanced digital copy uh from netgalley of the new of Ethan Sherwood Strauss's athletic writer Ethan Sherwood Strauss's uh book The Victory Machine on which is sort of a different approach to telling the story of the Golden State Warriors dynasty how it was built over this past decade and how it perhaps fell apart right um, and you learned a secret from Yeah, this. I did. Um for one the book is quite good and first of all you do not need crazy media credentials to get on netgalley so if you want like anyone can sign up for it and somehow i bullshitted my way to thinking (laughs) 
to get them to think that I had enough credentials to credibly review this book. So, <clears throat> First of all, the legal so screen is the only credential you need. And people are like, oh, well, that is, that is, that is literally the only credential on my neck. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Is co-host of the Illegal Screen podcast and then links to my Twitter and my Goodreads. And since I have, I do have a very active Goodreads this and is true. a reasonable number of people follow me on it, but not like thousands. And like Twitter is about the same. Like I'm still under a thousand on that shit, but like, anyway they want they thought it was okay i got it i read it it's a great book but we're bearing the lead mm-hmm. learned a fascinating secret about the the warriors dynasty and that it was fueled by sessions of drinking modello and then it all makes sense all of it makes sense it was modello all time, the championships all the time the five finals runs and three titles modello <sighs> time they golden state modello nation that's just that's mm-hmm. what it was you know that's that was the alternate title for this book was golden state modello nation um <laughs> no not many people know that yeah um so uh so that's our halftime for today uh so don't get angry um do good stuff uh, be the best you can be don't tear your clothing um and don't tear modello. Clothing. clothing's expensive yeah Clothing's too expensive, and it's a huge environmental hazard uh, to continuously <laughs> replace it. So, um, sure. you know, and drink and enjoy Modelo. And now, yeah. I think yeah, it's time. Yeah, we want to cross over into crossover. our yeah crossover into our ball segment. Um, we're talking. We we talked about uh, one film set directly in Florida, Beach Bum, and another that is so trashy it is emblematic of florida in <laughs> underground so i figure we want to talk about the t- uh about the florida basketball teams a little bit um yeah not dwell too much not uh step away from our favorite team the celtics and talk about how the florida teams have been doing um because it's a really interesting uh parallel between yes. the two like we've For got sure. you've got miami who are currently third place in the Eastern Conference standings, and basically yeah. only third place because Boston has a slight advantage above them to hold that second place spot. And then you have, of course, the Orlando Magic, who are holding on to the eighth spot in the uh, playoff race for dear life. Yeah. And yeah. who knows if they'll keep it? What with the reason, um, the recent uh, season-ending injury to Jonathan Isaac who we've derided both praised and derided on this podcast for various reasons but yes. um, obviously no matter what we feel about a player it's never uh, it's never cool or fun when anyone gets injured so we no, wish him, absolutely not wish him all the best for a speedy recovery as, as speedy as possible and hope he comes back to the team soon and so yeah I guess let's Let's just get into it. Like, to start with the Miami Heat, you know, they're obviously more alluring of the two Florida teams. Both because for, for a lot of reasons, too. Yeah. And, and I'm, I've always been a Magic guy growing up in Florida. I was always a Magic guy. So it is kind of, I think, kind of painful in a lot of ways to admit that. But it is what it is. Um, and uh, another thing 
about the Miami Heat, aside from just the allure of their performance on the, the court. Club. And this, and really, like the allure of why players come there is like the weather, the clubs, the culture, the aesthetic of Miami, the feeling of Miami, the, the tax-free <laughs> income. <laughs> the 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 Heat also have, and this is undeniable. They have some of the best jerseys in incredible in the league, maybe. Maybe the best jerseys in the league. The Vice Nation, yeah, the Vice, the newest uh, edition of the Miami Heat Vice City jerseys called the uh, the Vice Wave. Oof. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. They're what what the young kids are referring to as drip. <laughs> Those shits drip. And this is this is like when I think it was last year when I thought the best jersey was. Um, the Bucks, uh, Eldritch Deer, uh, like City Jersey, I think is what it was. Um, no, 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 no. That was the um, that was one of the Golden State jerseys. Was it really? Yeah. Okay. I don't know why I was thinking it was the Bucks. Yeah, that jersey was incredible. But then Miami Heat still had a better jersey. So, anyways, there's an appeal on and off the court. Um, and just how we're kind of comparing and contrasting these two teams, that dichotomy of on off court existence doesn't just stop there. Of course, there's also the Orlando magic side of things, which I can speak more to Orlando as I spent more time in Orlando. I've been to Miami, uh, numerous times, but I haven't spent as much time in Miami as I have in Orlando. Orlando over the years has kind of, uh, I think struggled under the weight of its own, appearance of being like this giant mall manicured landscape slash hellscape yeah um that feels devoid of it feels and it looks at first appearances devoid of anything not that exists like outside of the realm of disney but there is a lot of great things in orlando a lot of great um venues in orlando shout outs to the social and will's pub uh, for being some of my favorite venues in all of Florida, if not my favorite, especially for the social. Um, so like there's a lot of really great things happening there, but it is living under the thumb of what the perception of Orlando is or worse Disney. And that's yeah. pretty much what's going against it and what is also its lifeblood. So it's a very difficult um, it's very difficult to balance the two in conjunction mm-hmm. with each other. Yeah. And yeah, Miami has the advantage of like that whole free agent. Uh, the free agent lure means they get slightly better talent to come there. They don't have to build everything through the draft as Orlando has had to build through the draft, uh, both both now and in the past. That's yeah. been the case. And right now, I mean, it's showing on the court, like which is difficult too, like for for Orlando. Because a lot of the a lot of the excuses, not excuses, but a lot of the defense of why the there's a struggle um, in terms of who they can draft is to be patient to rebuild. Um, mm-hmm. w- well, it's a lot different to say that when you have the Heat's free agency. Um, so I think there's kind of that that discrepancy that you know people forget about often. Yeah, so. I mean it goes both ways. Like the Heat have they've drafted players like Justice Winslow. And Bam, 
who he's currently injured, but he's been a huge part of the success that they have had these past couple of years. Whereas, um, and Bam Adebayo was drafted just two years ago, and he's probably an even bigger weapon for them. But obviously, like a huge part of the success is that Jimmy Butler wanted to go there, and the Philadelphia 76ers didn't want to pay Butler after making an all-in trade to get him for like three quarters of the season last season. They decided they didn't want to pay him the max, and Miami did. So they got him, and he's a huge part of why Miami's good, because he's obviously a legit superstar. It's like there's no other way to say it. And around him, he has people like um, like the aforementioned uh, Justice and Adebayo, as well as um, right. rookies like Tyler Hero, uh, role players like Myers Leonard, and old Celtics friend Kelly Olenek, a.k.a. the hyperextender of Kevin Love's arm, <laughs> uh, the man with chin pubes. Yeah. Old chin pube, chin pube McGee. Uh, poor often poor Kelly, poor Kelly. He has some truly unfortunate uh, facial hair, and he yeah. could just shave it. He could just shave it, but he says he refuses. <clears throat> um, because he has. yeah, he he wants to own the pubes. You know, he tried <laughs> to make it trend as a hashtag, own the pubes. It just didn't work. You know, like, um, allegedly, allegedly. And then a more uh, another huge part of the heat's success is also. Is, is a controversial one. It's uh, mm. They signed mm. the undrafted rookie Kendrick Nunn, who's played, who's started either point guard or shooting guard for them every yeah. game of this season thus far. And he professionally is having, he is having a pretty excellent rookie season, but he also has, a domestic violence. I don't know if a conviction per se, more like a no contest plea. Yeah. So it reads, and, <clears throat> and we have it posted here in the notes. And so it does it does read as following. This is kind of a a little bit of a background on it. the count of misdemeanor battery stemmed from a domestic battery arrest in March. While none told the Chicago Tribune that he did not strike the woman as alleged and only poured water on her, he said that he agreed Ooh. to a misdemeanor charge at the urging of his lawyer and added that he thoroughly regretted his confrontation at any rate. Quote, my actions I can't blame anyone for, he said. Quote, now that I would have just walked away. Now I would have just walked away from it. After his dismissal from Illinois, Nin's reputation and career were in doubt, but after completing 100 hours of community service, a 26-week abuse prevention program, and a letter of apology while under 18 months of court supervision, Nin was given a second chance by Coach Greg Camp at Oakland. Yeah. And so, but, but again, he didn't go drafted and that's probably the reason why. And Miami chose to exploit that market inefficiency and sign him. Yeah. So this is kind of a subject in and of itself that is immensely difficult to discuss. Um, and I think there's a lot of, how do you deal with it? Right. How do you approach it in a way that is both sensitive and it's like, is considerate and thinking about um, larger scale, really large, nebulous topics like justice. Well, well I'm thinking of it even or, ha- 
how do you how does Miami view it objectively? Like, do you think like do you say that okay, this guy did this, but it wasn't any sort of it was not an incident of at least not proven whatever that means, Christ, physical violence, but what he did still is assault legally. Yeah. And it is still utterly reprehensible. Mm-hmm. More, no, more, more what I'm trying to say is like, does someone view this as some sort of aberration? Or do you think that as I, as I generally do of these things, that generally they're not aberrations. Generally, if someone doesn't fuck up this badly and then never do it again, right. I'm sure that there are cases where that, that there are instances, a, a few, whatever, like in the grand scheme of things, there probably are a few instances where that has happened, where someone has made one hor- one truly horrible mistake and then never another. But that, that that's not the societal norm. Usually if you're willing to go the, far enough to make a mistake like that, there's a chance enough that you'll make it again. And right. as an organization, the Miami Heat having him on their roster, they have to be, they're being like, well, are they being like, well, if he does it again, we're an NBA team. We have the resources to swipe it under the rug. Or we're, we're like, well, we're not paying him that much. We'll just cut him and be done with it. Like, But for now, we get the points in the box score yeah. and the wins in the win column that he helps yeah. us get. I mean, they hold the cards. They hold the cards as an organization and front office's approach, I'm sure, has been probably almost unilaterally like a lot of other organizations tend to yeah, approach these I mean, things, we'll which finish, is but... not like plausible deniability, but acceptance of whatever the recourse is, is somebody says, well, what about Kendrick Nunn's uh, prior conviction or behavior? Um, and they say he did. He served, uh, you know, 26 week course on abuse and Blah 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 blah, and yeah, they have that. And so it's like fulfilled the obligations of his sentence, right? He fulfilled those whatever obligations or whatever, and it's like, well, his community, his he fulfilled fulfilled his obligations to his community, but the question is, well, then you can never fulfill the obligations to the individual though that you assaulted or did that to. Well, yeah, that's the that's kind of the problem, and I think that's the issue. Is they say, as I'm thinking of this almost from a level of like, hey. If you do this really awful thing, and maybe it is one time thing, like you said, but uh, maybe this treatment yeah. prevents it from happening again. Maybe, but I don't. I don't know. I, it's such a lofty and difficult subject um, to really grapple with and and wager like what would have been going through his head when he did that to start, <clears throat> and I, then no clue. <laughs> No clue. Really there was, I mean, there there was a situation, a not dissimilar situation in Boston with the Celtics not too long ago, um, with Jabari Bird, a player accused of assault, and Boston just cut him. Right. They just got rid of him. Like they didn't. But I mean, I guess I wonder, had Jabari Bird been a better, like, been a player on the caliber of Kenny Nunn, would they have kept him? I, I don't know. It's it's really difficult. I, re- I certainly hope not. But... Yeah. Yeah, I, I would hope not. 
yeah, yeah. but in any event obviously this was uh a couple seasons ago when this happened and there was also some speculation that uh that bird was suffering from some fairly serious mental illness mm. so and that's its whole other kettle of fish and that unlike domestic violence that's an issue that the nba has handled at least recently with relative aplomb but <clears throat> in its efforts to raise mental health awareness but this is really dark and it is dark it is dark it but is, i mean this is not our yeah it is it is not thing. typical typical legal screen but i mean it does come up sometimes where you kind of have to have these conversations and and be just as clueless or or just as directionless at times or feel that way as i think even the best and the brightest come in, yeah. in when it comes to discussing these things um because there's, there's almost no safe way to discuss it and there's almost no way to really figure it out um it just is what it is you hope it doesn't help happen again in the future you yeah. hope that there is true like there's truly an, an idea of penance and like forgiveness as well um and recognizing that w what was done was was extraordinarily wrong and it is an aberration that's what you hope really so yeah, i mean no. it's it's that gambling though because the front office is always going to hold the cards so you don't have anything to lose uh you just say oh well you know look he did his time quote unquote he paid his service he he's now given back to the community in some capacity so we have somebody yeah and the box scores doing what they need to do and that's all that matters it's some one of the colder <laughs> unfortunate sides of of any sport it happens Definitely. it's just it's just the way that it happens um but i mean the miami heat as a team um they they yep. have more than that going for them of course yeah of course um there's been an incre I, I don't i can't remember last season what their performance was like but it they was, did not make the playoffs. Yep, they didn't make the playoffs that much. They I were bad. They were very bad. <laughs> I just don't remember how bad they were. I can pull that up for you. This has been a pretty meteoric comeback, though, for the Heat. I would say. Uh, uh yeah, no, definitely. I didn't. I knew they would be better by adding Butler, but I didn't think they would be like top three, top four team. Yeah, last last uh, season they were thirty nine and forty three, which is not far from where they were the season before that. Like they basically they've had they've had this run since LeBron left of very underwhelming seasons. Yeah, uh, yeah. So this this is a real surge from that, and yeah, they they've got a, a very strong defense generally although the boston celtics fucking whacked them uh when they played they did they did they absolutely greased them um i think i think this meteoric rise is and kind of bounce back is is explainable or can be explained by various circumstances but uh, I, micro microdosing uh Dion Waiters, that's one of them. That's yeah. one of them. That's a that's huge, <laughs> huge, yeah, huge him one. Off the court. Yeah. <laughs> huge, 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 huge. Um, um Pat Riley 
Yeah, uh, Pat Riley being an evil Irishman who wishes he was an Italian mafia boss. Yeah, everyone knows that. Uh, hey, I'm Pat the Irishman Riley. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. He he saw uh, the Irishman hit uh, theaters and then hit Netflix and was like, finally, someone who, someone like me, <laughs> someone <laughs> so- who won. Finally, people understand the struggle that I have. A movie I can relate to. To be an Irishman and want to be in the mafia. You just don't understand (laughs) how hot it is. (laughs) But seriously, um, moving on, because if I get ranting about Pat Riley, it'll be hours. Um, Let's move back to the magic a little bit. Yeah. What's going on with them? You recently, shameless plug, were on a podcast uh, that was supposed to talk about the magic and didn't end up talking about the magic. Uh, Why don't it, you run it, us through that? It a is bit? very, yeah, very, very, very close to. Um, so I have a a good friendship uh, with John, um, uh, who's basically one of the key uh, hosts, or he actually writes for, I believe, Magic Daily. Uh, I want to say Orlando Magic Daily. I believe so. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, John, if I got that incorrect, dude. Um, but uh, so he invited me on his pod uh, with uh, with Chris and that's called uh, Friends with Boredom. And um, so we actually ended up talking about movies and, and music and, and fun stuff like that. Um, but I was I was getting ready because I, I for some reason, I don't know why I thought it was uh, one of the the magic fan casts. And I don't know why I had that in my head. I might have been getting the two confused, but um, it was still an awesome experience. And um, I know they're deeply tied. Uh, obviously, John has deep connections to the magic and deep connections with Orlando. So like if anybody could speak to this, you know, and, and who knows, maybe it's a vision of a guest that will occur in the future, uh, a possible hint. But, uh, you know, John would be the perfect guy to do kind of a, a postmortem of the team's performance this year. Right. And an analysis of, of where they're headed and where they could, what needs to be done in the future um, to help the team. So, like, in, in terms of, like, that getting ready for a podcast appearance, like, I, I was just like, I'm still going to read up a little bit on the magic and kind of do some research. And, and that was obviously a part of what I did. But, I mean, as it stands now, they're they're still in that that playoff race right now yes they're, um, they have the eighth spot as of today january 13th 2020 uh hopefully you'll be hearing this not that far from now but in any in any case when you do hear it chances are good that they won't have moved that far down or up yep and but, the the team's performance this year has been scattered and i yeah, know a lot of orlando really magic fans and it is constant catastrophizing every week. Um, and if it's not catastrophizing about the indiv- individual player performance or things like Jonathan Isaac getting taken out or injuries, yeah. it's catastrophizing about the overall management of the team. Um, the I feeling of I th- helplessness. I think they do like Steve Clifford as coach. I don't think there's any, uh, I don't think anyone wants to get rid of him for example because he in his own way is as kind of as canny a coach as someone like Eric Spolstra of the Heat can be but Spolstra has always had much better resources to work with 
than uh, any right. magic coach has, whether it's been uh, whether it's been Jacques Vaughn or earlier this decade or someone more experienced like Frank Vogel, who still had a really unfortunate run here or the Frico year of hell with Scott Skiles, which Scott Skiles could alone inspire his own like illegal screen worthy biopic <laughs> such a fucking weird ass but anyway uh without getting sidetracked there um i think clifford is a good coach for them but again yeah. it's, it's this inability to it's this inability of the team to really just get the right resources to quite get there and in the draft they just haven't been quite as lucky with a few exceptions namely Jonathan Isaac although as as stated earlier he is seriously injured and will miss the rest of the season yeah Um, I think it was his foot Uh, I believe I thought it was I thought it was his hand actually or was that his early injury no I, I don't remember but um it's it's his knee. Oh, it's his knee. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I mean Isaac, unfortunately, being injured as we had predicted and identified in the preseason. Uh, Fultz has been a wild card. Um, yeah, he's up, down, all around. He's still consistent. Still consistent as a wild card. Um, yes. So that's been something we were we were spot on about, but um pretty much the team i i wouldn't say that they're suffering from like a lack of uh synergy it's just that they're they're working with they're working the best they can with very little resources yeah and the they have not, just isn't quite there no there's no one to suck and, up defense playing on that team either there's there's no one that is consistently offensive enough um to devise anything that will pull defense from their any team they go up against. Yeah, uh, because you can like Vooch will shoot Vooch can like score from just about anywhere, but he won't defend, whereas you've got a younger guy like Bamba who has scoring difficulties and is is offensively talented uh, or rather excuse me, is defensively talented but still right. raw. Like he's still learning a lot, yeah. And then, like, look uh, up and down. Who of this roster? I'm looking at the roster now, and it's like I know some of these dudes aren't even like active at the moment. Like, um, like I'm pretty sure. Like, is Michael Carter Williams playing? Uh, former Rookie of the Year, Michael Carter Williams. Um, DJ Augustine. Uh, yeah. It's just Evan Fournier is consistent, but like, yeah. I imagine. See, a lot of people. I've I've been seeing a lot of stuff about maybe them trading Aaron Gordon. I would say, I would say, trade someone. You should trade an older guy like Fournier. Aaron Gordon is is definitely the the premier trade bait. And there's an article from Orlando Magic Daily. Um, So this is by Seth Arora, uh, written three weeks ago. But this is kind of when the subject kind of started to come up, uh, at least within the fan community and outside of it as well. 
so four players to potentially target in an Aaron Gordon trade is the name of the article. Make sure to check it out because there's some really detailed uh, yeah, subject matter in here. But uh, the idea, and just going over the players, is the first is DeMar DeRozan. Um, is the f- I, can, I can see that, maybe. The second is Drew Holiday. That is not going to happen. The third is, and I guarantee you this will not happen. I would love for this to happen. <laughs> no. D'Angelo Russell is not coming not, to the Orlando Not Magic. in a million years are you going to get D'Angelo Russell. <laughs> uh, I mean, I hate to be like, way to be an optimist about that team. And there's no way, man. There's not in a million years. Um, and then CJ McCollum is the, uh, the fourth. Um, and I guess. Maybe uh, I I mean I'd say it's at least I can't plausible. See, I can't see that many scenarios in which Portland loses him. No, it's because he's so important to Damian Lillard, who like as as the running buddy of Damian Lillard, and Damian Lillard is that team. And if you fuck with if you fuck with Lillard, you risk and you fuck with the face of the franchise. Like you just can't do that. Yeah, I I, just, yeah. I, I, just, I really don't see it. No, but I, I could see, see DeRozan. I could definitely see DeRozan happening. And well, I think DeRozan, like the the explanation that that Seth provides in this article, is is really good. Because uh, I mean, he does do like kind of a breakdown. So like, let's just focus on on DeRozan because that's at least in the plausible. This is this is like it could happen instead of it. So like. Basically, why he benefits Orlando. So we'll we'll talk about this section. So like, and this is uh, from Seth's article. DeRozan can score even with his lowest yep. usage rate since 2013. DeRozan puts up 20.6 points per game and about 5.5 rebounds per game with four point assists. He shoots better than uh, than uh, than 50 percent from the floor. He's a That's player a uh, team can give a ball to and will find a way to score. DeRozan is top 10 in the league in drive points per game. Um, in a Magic uniform. He would provide a bona fide offensive threat that teams must account for each and every night with uh, Vucevic working his way back to full form and Fournier enjoying a career year. Forcing opponents' hands to appropriately game plan on defense will certainly help a team that struggles to crack 100 on some nights. Yes, they certainly do. And... So, like, that's that's a realistic assessment of where the Magic can could theoretically plan for a trade. I guess... I guess maybe I can see them doing like I think Drew Holiday is at least more likely than D'Angelo Russell, but I don't know. Yeah, I just I mean, what about you? Are there any players that come to mind that you think For would Gordon? be? Yeah, that you think would be like if I was in charge, and that they have to be plausible. I don't uh, know if there's anyone that comes to mind because like I mean, like, D'Angelo Russell, like it's not. <laughs> Not, if I, if I'm thinking of young teams with cap space, like young and or rebuilding teams with cap space, um, maybe Minnesota could use a player like that, but they sort of already have that in Robert Covington, and they may be trading Robert Covington anyway. And I don't think they're, I don't think Covington would be enough to get someone like Gordon. Um, I guess they'd have to throw in a bunch of fodder. Um, to really make that work, uh, I can see him helping the Bulls, but I don't think the Bulls have the assets to get it done. 
uh, Lakers don't need him. Actually, well, no, no, no. The Lakers don't need him. Like even with their current championship or bust mentality, they don't really need a player quite like that. Right. Neither do the Clippers, neither do any of the other West powerhouses, really. Um, like he probably is better for a team that wants a team like San Antonio that does not ever want to have to fully rebuild, but always stay competitive. Um, maybe Miami. I don't know if Aaron Gordon went to Miami. I think that might hurt some people's hearts. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think that would be good. That would be but bad. I, but, but but it would make sense. I can see it making sense. Mm. <laughs> Sad as it is, that is it is. But that that I think that's actually taps into the sad, not sad, but the pained, sometimes pain narrative of like Orlando Magic and being a Magic fan. Um, by the way, a John's Magic is a podcast is Magical Boogaloo podcast, and he is a ah. close up ma- close up Magic contributor. I do apologize that's, for getting that okay. wrong, John. Um, so yeah, so I I feel like there's. There's just an overall narrative of the magic. Like I said, the typical rebuttal is be patient. They're rebuilding. It's going to take time. So that means you just have to literally accept that things are not going to go your way. And once once it finally opens up for better trades and the team is in a position to kickstart something truly incredible, hey, they'll have their time in the sun. But until then, you just bide your time. It's really not acceptable to to fans to be like bide your time bide your time now granted in a lot of sports uh franchises people have been biding their times for for a long time well yeah um so like but i don't think that for a lot of magic fans they want that like think about it like the orlando magic have at least been in the playoffs multiple times in the most in the decade that just concluded a team like the sacramento kings hasn't been in the playoffs since 2006 and isn't going to make them this year exactly 2006 yep exactly (laughs) exactly it's rough so i mean i think kind of kind of in closing yeah uh, it could be worse it's not that bad it could Um, definitely be worse you could be the knicks yeah way worse you could be the knicks you could be the knicks and none of the knicks (laughs) want to be the knicks so i mean uh oh, so God. for florida basketball keep an eye on miami and keep an eye on orlando there's going to be some interesting things happening there the rest of the season um Definitely. It, it's an interesting place to to talk about and we'll probably end up revisiting uh towards the end of the season i imagine sort yeah. of a, a post-mortem on those teams and and what went right and what went wrong um so for some i think it pretty much is this episode yeah that wraps but, up that wraps us up for the first episode of 2020. We also have some plugs. Um, yeah, we do so... want to plug both of us. Although, Brian, I know you contributed to both the best songs and albums lists of the decade on treblezine.com. I only contributed to the albums list because I am lazy. <laughs> but you did a lot of really good work on on both of those lists particularly the albums list with your uh, with your work on Frank Ocean. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, we, you put in a lot of great work, too. I mean, this was a labor of love from the Treble family. 
And that's the way I kind of like to always talk about whenever we do one of these gigantic lists that it is not just a an effort that is like a one and done thing. Like people put in a vote and then they write a blurb and then they're done. Like everybody who's writing on this list, uh, you, me, Jeff, Langdon, um, so many other Virginia, Adam, yeah, Paul. Yeah, like it's just a it's incredible the amount of people that come together to make these lists work. And um, it's not just to say check out our stuff or plug our stuff, but just Treble Zine as a whole. And that these albums of the decade and songs of the decade list is a labor of love from a lot of truly talented people. And um, one of the only music websites out there that is, I think, more like a family than just a music website so yeah um check it out because that was a an immense project that came together and it was really cool to see the finished product um, and my brain is not working today so <laughs> oh boy anyways uh i think with that the only thing i'd say for this year is stay tuned and keep listening uh the legal screen is all about that life we're gonna vibe check uh we're just oh, gonna yeah. feel it and uh, we're going to have some more guests on. Uh, shout our... outs to our first guest, uh, William Zabka42, a.k.a. Nate, for joining oh, us. Yeah. Um, but just people, keeping... People seem to really like that episode. Yeah. So keep an, keep an eye out. Uh, keep, uh, keep an eye out for a podcast, a visual podcast. Uh, what I mean what? is watch... <laughs> Watch the skies. Watch the skies, <laughs> friends. Watch the skies for UFOs. For, 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 for Dolce Bass, because we're going there. <laughs> You're going to do the first live podcast from Dolce Bass. <laughs> from, from White Sands, New Mexico. Mm-mm-mm. Sunny, <laughs> sunny, delightful White Sands, New Mexico. Irradiated. <laughs> All right. We'll see you guys later. All right. Later, y'all. This one is by a little-known pop singer by the name of Miss Britney Spears. One of the greatest singers of all time and an angel if there ever was one on this earth. So small, I guess I need you, baby.